uh, you know, know us very well. So I'm Jimmy. My wife's Robin. Uh, we have a son, Jay, who's 24, who lives in Nashville. And then uh, Molly is our daughter who was playing keyboard. She's 21. And Lily's a sophomore in high school. She's still the one left at home. And so uh, really, this Lily doesn't have anything to do with this story. It took place before she was even uh, born. But uh, uh, just a couple things about Jay and Molly, okay? So Jay, our son, is like really extremely just black and white in how he uh, looks at things. Uh, one of our nicknames for him is Mr. Truth, Justice, and the American Way because he's just so uh, black and white about things. And then uh, our other two kids uh, somewhat derisively, somewhat jealously uh, call uh, Molly the perfect one because uh, she hardly ever got in trouble uh, when she was uh, growing up. But anyway, so uh, when Jay and Molly were little, they were outside uh, playing together uh, one day, or they were, I don't know if they were actually playing together, but they were both outside in, in the same area. And so uh, Jay, Mr. Truth, Justice, and the American Way, runs in the house to tattle on his sister and uh, tell his mom that uh, Molly called me an idiot. And so, uh, you know, Robin goes outside to investigate and uh, try to find out uh, what is going on here. And, uh, you know, she asked Molly, well, did, you, did you call Jay an idiot? And she's like, no, I didn't call Jay an idiot. I called G an idiot. And you say, well, who's G and what does she have to do with this story? Well, G was Molly's imaginary friend. And so apparently, you know, Molly's out there and she had this little baby doll that she named Tamika that she adored, and she's pushing Tamika in the stroller, and uh, apparently Jay sort of got in the way or, or whatever, and uh, she said, you're an idiot, and so her mom asked her about that, and she said, well, I didn't really call Jay an idiot, I called, Tamika, or I called G an idiot, and she's not real, so it doesn't count. Because all of my kids should really be actually lawyers because they, you know, all the time coming up with reasons like that for, you know, why they shouldn't be in trouble for something. But uh, so, uh, you know, Robin's trying to be a good mom here and, you know, starts talking to her about it and that kind of thing. And then she asks the question. She says, well, I mean, where did you learn this word? Where, where, where did you hear this word? And they both point at her and say, you, mom. Um, when, when you're driving, mom, you call people idiots. Because, and, and she's grown in this, but in the past, sweet, kind, gentle, loving Robin wasn't quite, wasn't quite so sanctified when she was behind the wheel. And there's like her driving and everybody else is driving. And, uh, you know, if you did the wrong thing, you were an idiot. And, and so... Um, you know, so, you know, when, when our kids call us out on stuff, because sometimes we blow it, I mean, what do you do? You just kind of say, well, I'm, I'm sorry. And so, you know, Robin's apologizing. She's like, you know, let's make a deal. Let's, let's promise, to, you know, together that we're not going to, you know, call people idiots. We're not going to use this word anymore. And Jay's like, hey, mom, mom, mom. And she's like, well, what, Jay? He's like, hey, just leave me out of this. I never said it in the first place. So our words get us in trouble sometimes, right? Our words sometimes do good things. Uh, th there's power uh, in, in our words. Uh, you know, the Bible talks about in the book of James that if, if we could bridle our tongue, we'd be a perfect person. That uh, out of the mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. 
It compares the, the tongue to like the rudder of a ship, something small that controls something very large. Uh, it says our words can be like a, like a fire, like, like a forest fire. In fact, in, in Proverbs 18.21, the Bible says this. It says that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat uh, its fruit. You say, what does that mean? Well, basically, you know, what it's saying is we, we can speak words that are like words of death, that, that, that bring, you know, curse, that bring problems, that, that hurt people. That, and then uh, we can speak words that are like words of life, words that, of blessing, words that are going to help people, words that are going to build people up, uh, words that are going to point people to the Lord instead of away from the Lord. And it says, those who love it will eat his fruit. So, in other words, if, if we're speaking words of death, we're going to, you know, experience the fruit of that in our lives, and our relationships. We're speaking words of life. We're going to experience the... Uh, you know, the fruit, the effects of that in our life and in our, our relationships. In, in fact, uh, I think we could say without any hesitation that if we want to change our relationships, one of the keys to that is changing our words. Right? I mean, if we want to have a better marriage, probably a real simple way to do that would be to speak a whole lot more words of life than to speak words of death. And that, I think that would be true uh, really for, for any relationship that we have. And so we're talking about speaking words of life. You know, we're, we're, and maybe an example of this would be, I, I've, I've, some of you heard me share this before, but like maybe the hardest thing I've ever done in my life was preaching my brother's funeral. And like right before it started, I felt like I couldn't do it. And Robin was singing and we were up on the platform together behind the, the, the coffin and the flowers and all that. And she just kept repeating over and over to me in Philippians 4.19, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And, and those were words of life to me at that moment that uh, I guess gave me the courage or the faith or whatever it was that I needed to do what I actually wanted to do in, in, in sharing that message and in, in sharing uh, about my brother. So, you know, words of life, words that build up, that help, that encourage, that strengthen, that guide, Sometimes the challenge, but they're, they're words of truth in our lives. But uh, sometimes, uh, you know, simple words that we don't even mean can be like words of death. You know, I, I think sometimes we underestimate the power that's in our words. Here's an example. You know, some of you know that I've uh, been a big fan of the, the, the band U2. And their lead singer Bono, and a couple of albums ago, they did a song by the title of Iris. And you say, that sounds like a strange name for a rock song. But uh, it's actually about Bono's mother. Uh, that was her name. And uh, when Bono was a teenager, his grandfather died, his, his mom's dad. And at his funeral, she collapsed, had an aneurysm, and she died as well. And so his grandfather and his mother died within a few days of each other, and um, it really affected him. His dad was a very hard man and, uh, you know, wasn't necessarily the best home in environment. But uh, in, in this song that's about his mom, near the end of uh, his, his, the song, there's a line in there that says, Iris says that I will be the death of her. It was not me. Now, I don't know this for sure, but I just imagine 
that Bono was probably a difficult child. I mean, he's the lead singer of a rock band. He was probably a difficult child, uh, as, as a lot of us were. And I think probably all of us know that moms have mom sayings, right? And uh, there's some interesting mom sayings. And if, you know, when you push a mom so far and, you know, everything snaps, then there's some really interesting mom sayings, right? And she can be the sweetest, kindest, uh, uh, most intelligent, and most articulate person. But after a certain point, when everything snaps, mom just starts babbling incoherent sayings that only make sense to her. And um, so maybe I could just imagine, uh, you know, Bono giving her a hard time and her getting exasperated and saying, son, you're going to be the death of me. And then after this happens, him feeling guilty about that. And then in hindsight, writing this line, it was not me. Words are powerful. They're more powerful than sometimes than I think that we can even imagine. Now, I do want to say that I think it's important to point this out. There are limits to this. Here's, here's a false teaching that, that's taught today. It's part of the prosperity gospel, part of the word faith movement. I'm going to show you a Joel Osteen clip in a second that, that's exa- an example of this where he and, and other people do this as well. Uh, but where people teach that words actually have creative power, that, that your words can speak things into existence, that, that your words actually create reality. And that is absolutely unbiblical, heretical nonsense. That's, put, that's blasphemy, really, because it's putting yourself in the place of God. Only God's word has creative power. Only God speaks things into existence. I mean, that's how he created the world, uh, you know, by the power of his words. But in opposition to this, look, look at what, uh, listen to, look, look at what Joel Osteen says about this. I want to talk to you today about miracles in your mouth. Our words have creative power. When we speak something out, we're giving it the right to come to pass. And it's one thing to believe that you're healed, but when you say, I am healed, that's what releases the healing. And it's not enough to just believe you're blessed, believe you have favor. The scripture says the spirit of faith is in our words. When you say, I am blessed, I have favor, I'm coming out of debt, angels go to work. Good breaks will find you. The right people will track you down. And you can think positive. You can believe for favor. That's good, but nothing happens till you speak. The miracle is in your mouth. There is healing in your mouth. There is freedom in your mouth. There are new levels in your mouth. If you're fighting an illness, it's easy to talk about the medical report and how bad it looks. I don't think I'll ever get well. When you speak that, you're calling in more sickness, more defeat. You need to change what you're saying. The scripture says, let the weak say, I am strong. It doesn't say, let the weak talk about the weakness. Let the weak call five friends and discuss the problem. That's giving life to the negative. Now, I'm not asking you to deny the facts. Just say what God says about you. Your report should be, God is restoring health back unto me. The number of my days he will fulfill. 
And you say, why do, I, why do I show you that? Why do I want you to see that if it's not true? I want you to see it because a lot of people get sucked into this kind of stuff. In less than two-minute cliff, there are multiple heretical statements, unbiblical, scripture-twisting nonsense that's there. Don't buy this kind of stuff. Watch who you listen to. It only works for the people at the top of the Ponzi scheme. What happens a lot of times is people, uh, you know, believe this kind of stuff and think, well, you know, I can speak it and, and, and it's going to happen. You know, I'm sick, I'll speak my healing or whatever else it may be, and then it doesn't work because it's not God's will in, in that actual case. And then people think, well, you can't trust God, uh, you know, or something's wrong with me or something's wrong with my faith or, or whatever it is. And a lot of times they walk away from Jesus and they walk away from the Christian faith because they think, you know, God doesn't have the power to actually do things. When the issue is, they're believing a lie. So, words are powerful. Words are effective. Words affect good. They affect bad. That, you know, they affect us in very real and tangible ways. But words don't create reality. So, we need to have that limit on our understanding of this. But, if, if we would agree, and I think we would. I mean, Scripture's very clear, but we just know it practically if words are powerful, if words affect us, you know, the, the question is, well, how do we speak words of life instead of words of death? What is our speech supposed to look like if we're a follower of Jesus Christ? And that's what we're going to look at in Ephesians 4.29 today. And so I want you to understand this in the context of, of what we've been talking about. If, if you're not a Christian, it's not my goal here today to reform your speech. The context here is verses 17 through 24. Remember this is people who are made new in Christ. And once we've been made new in Christ, we're told to put off the old, put on the new through the renewing of our minds. And verses 25 through 32 are some very practical examples of that. I mean, we've looked at putting off uh, lying, putting on truth, putting off unrighteous anger and putting on righteous anger and forgiveness. Last week we talked about putting off stealing and putting on hard work and, and, and putting on uh, generosity. And, um, and, and remember the analogy I used a few weeks ago. If it's kind of like you know, if you worked out at the gym uh, one day and then you took a shower and you got clean, that's kind of like getting saved. But then we're not to put back on our old sweaty gym clothes. We're to put on you know, a new spiritual wardrobe as well. And that pertains to our mouths. I mean, if you've been cleansed by Christ... Is your mouth like old sweaty gym clothes? Or do you talk, do you speak like a person who has been made new by Jesus? And so I think that's the main idea of this, is that a person who's been made new by Christ is to speak like a new person. And, and the question is then, well, how do we do that? Well, verse 29 tells us we do it by putting off our old speech, and putting on a new type of speech. And so, what is this old speech? What is this new speech? Well, uh, let, let's read the verse and, 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 and look at that. So, Ephesians 4.29 uh, says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. That's the putting off. But, and, and this is the putting on, what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And, and so, uh, the word corrupt means like what's bad, what's uh, unwholesome. Really, it, it literally means something that's rotten, uh, putrid. Like a, a couple place, like one place in the Bible, it's used of rotten fruit. 
Another place in the Bible, it's used of like rotted fish. So he says, put off corrupt speech. That's the first thing that he tells us to do here. And so, I mean, think about that picture. I mean, think about fish. Now, I love to eat fish. But what happens when you cook fish in your house? It smells like fish, right? Even if it tastes good, I don't know about the smell, but, but think about rotten fish, how nasty that is. Or just think about like rotten fruit or rotten vegetable that you come... I mean, think about when you've left something way too long in your refrigerator and when you discover it. Or you ever like somebody ever dropped something in, 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 in your car like I told you a story one time about Lily leaving a cheese quesadilla in, in, in my car. And, and you ever like drop something in your car and there's this smell, but you can't seem to find it. And then when you find it, it's just something completely nasty. That's kind of the word picture here uh, of this word corrupt. Something that's rotten, unfit, harmful. And so, you know, how does our speech smell? I mean, does it stink? Is it rotten, is it corrupt, or is it positive, and is it helpful? And so he says to put off corrupt speech. Well, how do I know if my speech is corrupt or not? Um, well, what I want to do, like I said, I'm calling this speech test, kind of give us a test or, or, or give us some biblical characteristics of corrupt, rotten speech. I just want to run through a, a list, and I, I'm sure there's more, but th- these are, are ten... Uh, ways that Scripture points out that we can speak in a corrupt kind of way, okay? Here's the first one, and I think it should be at the top of the list, is taking God's name in vain. Exodus 20, verse 7, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. What's it mean to take God's name in vain? Well, basically the, the word vain in Hebrew means empty. It's interesting. You know what the opposite word of vain is? It's glory. You know what the word glory means? It means weighty. So basically, when we speak God's name, we're to give it the weight that it deserves. And if we fail to do that, we're taking God's name in vain. And so there's many different ways that we could do that. But it's certainly at the top of the list would be using God's name as a part of a cuss word, using Jesus' name as a curse, or really, I think, even saying, oh my, or OMG, or, or some form of that. Listen, if you're not a Christian and you don't claim to follow Jesus, I'm not talking to you right now. But if you are a Christian, okay, this may sound moralistic, but just stop it. There's no excuse for doing this. It's at best a bad habit. At worst, it's blasphemous. I mean, you can come up with better things to say than this. If you say that God, if you say that Jesus Christ is your Savior, use his name in a way that corresponds with that. It's sin, period. Repent. Second, complaining and arguing, and I know some of you use the notes, and I actually, after I turned in the notes, realized I made a mistake and, and, and changed this when it says something a little different. I think complaining and criticism, maybe in your notes. So change the word criticism to arguing. Philippians 2.14 says this. It says, do all things without complaining and disputing, which means arguing. 
We made Jay and Molly memorize this verse when they were little kids because they were arguing a lot. Now, that's a pretty high standard, isn't it? How much time do we spend arguing? How much time do we spend complaining? I mean, think about it. How much time have you spent over the last several weeks complaining about how hot it is? And then this winter, how much time will you spend complaining about how cold it is? Um, I don't like winter, but I, it's something I, I've, I've just tried in my life over the fa- last few years to avoid complaining as much as possible. What does it really accomplish? I mean, it's not appealing to the people we're spending time with. It doesn't really do anything good. Listen, when Christians are negative all the time, I think what we're doing is we're speaking words of doubt instead of words of faith, and we're robbing ourselves of our joy and our peace because we're reinforcing what's wrong instead of reinforcing the fact that God is still sovereign and God is working all things together for our good. You want to just have a healthier state of mind? Complain less. It really has never fixed anything. Number three, and if you use the notes in your bulletin, this is something that that I added in after those were turned in in the middle of the week, but harsh words. Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up uh, anger. Soft answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. So tone is important in the way that we speak. And, and this is one I have to be careful with. I mean, I can have a harsh tone sometimes. So this is one that, that I've had to repent of over the years. But the way we say things can be as important sometimes as actually what we say. The Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. Four is boasting. Uh, James 4.16, the second part of it says, says, All such boasting is evil. Why is boasting evil? Because boasting is the outward expression of the pride of our hearts. And so when we're, you know, the Bible tells us to boast in the cross, we can brag about Jesus, but when we're boasting about ourselves, it's the opposite of humility. The Bible says God, uh, you know, resists the proud, gives grace to the humble, and it's something that's a turnoff, a bad testimony to the people around us. Lying, number five. And we talked about this in, in detail two or three weeks ago. The Bible tells us to put off lying, put on truth. We're to, we're to speak the truth as believers. Six, false doctrine. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. And empty words are words that are uh, devoid of substance or devoid of truth. False doctrine. And, and, and that's uh, part of the reason why I wanted you to see that video. That's an example of that. You see, when we speak things, spiritual things, biblical things, that where we've kind of twisted it or misunderstood it or really that actually aren't true, in effect, we're lying on God. And that's what he was doing in that clip. He was trying to teach people that what's supposed spiritual truth that's actually false doctrine. And anyone in any capacity as, as a preacher, small group leader, whatever, who teaches the Word of God should realize that we have a weighty responsibility that we're going to have to answer to God for, that we're actually teaching the truth. Numbers 7 and 8, I want to say together and then talk about them. Number 7 is profanity, obscenity, foolish talking, 
coarse jesting. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 4, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. Colossians 3, 8 says, but now you yourselves are put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. And then number eight is calling people names in an insulting or a demeaning kind of way. Jesus said in Matthew 5, he says, But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Now, sometimes you know, people will uh, you know, kind of push back and say, Well, you know, they're just words. I've heard Christians say that before. I think that's an excuse. Um, uh, probably if I called uh, your spouse or one of your kids uh, some kind of bad word, it probably wouldn't be just a word to you at that particular moment. Or sometimes people say, well, you know, what makes a word a cuss word? What makes it wrong uh, to say a particular thing? And of course, there's not like a list in the appendix of your Bible that's like this is the list of banned words that Christians can't say. Uh, you know, we have to take these principles and uh, apply them. And so what are some of the things we need to think, of, think about? Well, does it glorify God? Does it honor his name? Uh, does it contribute or hinder my testimony? Or, you know, if you want to get into the next phrase of, uh, of Ephesians 4.29, that we'll get into in more detail in a minute, but this is probably the key standard for our speech. Does it build up or does it tear down? Because if it tears down, it's wrong. But let me take it a step farther. What, what makes something obscene or profane? Uh, you know what the word profane means? The word profane basically means to take something that's holy and make it common or coarse. And so, for example, when, when people use obscene language, you know, sexual innuendo or, uh, you know, quote, cuss words that are related to sex or that demean people in that way or that kind of thing. Basically, they're taking something that's holy, a gift from God for marriage, and they're using it in a profane way. That's what makes it wrong. When we uh, insult people or call them names or use words to demean them, that clearly goes against what Jesus talked about in Matthew 5, 22. Um, you know, why, why do people usually cuss? I mean, outside of it just being a bad habit or outside of apparently not having enough of a no, normal vocabulary to be able to converse in a proper way, or uh, maybe that was a bad use of words, that may have been insulting, or, or just outside of people thinking it's cool and wanting to fit in, usually why do we cuss? Either we're angry, it's a lack of self-control, we want to insult someone, it's in, in, in which that is wrong. Or, or like I say, it, it can be just a bad habit. But it seems hard to me for a Christian to justify. I mean, if in the world, if a word can't be used on TV, I'm not sure as a Christian you need to be using it in the normal conversation of your life. You know, even go beyond that. I mean, you think about words that are considered mild, tame cuss words like damn and hell. You say, why would those be wrong? Well, here's the issue. God damns people to hell. 
The Bible teaches there is eternal damnation. So when you use those words outside of that kind of uh, scriptural context, you're profaning something that's true and holy and from God. And so, like I say, there may not be an you know, appendix in the Bible that lists particular words, but I think if we go a little bit deeper, this is why these kind of things are an issue. But really, the ultimate issue is we're to live our lives for the glory of God, and we're to live with self-control. And what's on the inside, is it comes out on the outside. And so if this is what's coming out on the inside, is this pointing people to Christ? Is this pointing people away from Christ? And then the last couple I want to look at together as well. And, uh, you know, and, and once again, I'm not teaching that, like, you know, some kind of moralistic kind of thing where, like, okay, you want to, be, you want to go to heaven, you know, don't cuss, don't drink, don't smoke, those kind of things. That's why I, I, every week for the last several weeks, I've gone back to the context of where, where we are in Ephesians. And, and this is outward expressions of a new life. But, you know, in, in a lot of churches, you know, it's going to be legalism, don't cuss, don't drink, don't smoke, whatever. You know, there's just lists, and you're a good Christian, then you're going to heaven, those kind of things. And, and, you know, cussing would be condemned. But these last two are often accepted within the church, and God hates them as well. One is slander. In, in Proverbs chapter 6, God is listing seven things that he hates. And he says, a false witness, a slanderer who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. And then along with that, there's gossip. Uh, Proverbs 26, verse 20 says, where there's no wood, the fire goes out. Where there's no talebearer, strife ceases. Um, you know, in, in 1 Timothy 5, 13, it speaks of women wandering around from house to house as busybodies and, and gossips. You see, what's the difference between slander and gossip? Slander is repeating something you shouldn't repeat that's not true, that's, that's a false accusation about somebody. Gossip is repeating something that you shouldn't repeat, and it may be true, but it's still wrong to repeat it. And, and so, um, you know, when we're not a part of the problem, not a part of the solution, when we don't know for sure uh, if, if something's right or not, if we're passing along information that we shouldn't, it's either gossip or it's slander, and it's wrong. You know, just because somebody tells you something doesn't mean it's true, number one, and number two, it doesn't mean you should repeat it. I, I, if I had power, like, uh, which you probably don't want, but if I, if I had this power, you know a phrase that I would ban? It'd be like a fine for using this phrase. Somebody told me and fill in the blank. Because somebody is usually a gossip, and now you're being a gossip too when you repeat it. Listen, the Bible standard is two or three witnesses. And, and so if you hear something, it doesn't make it true just because somebody said it. In, in Proverbs 18, 17, the, the Bible says, if you only hear one side of the story, of course that person's going to seem right. And so, you know, people say things, and, and, and you know, uh, you only hear one side of the story, and then you go repeat it, and it just snowballs. It, it, it's, it's wrong. You, you ever heard the phrase, um, spill the tea? 
It's like code word for gossip. Lily tells me there's like kids walking around school all, all day long. It's like, I got some tea for you. I got some tea to spill. You know, the church version of it is I got a prayer request for you. <laughs> but it, it, it's wrong. I mean, Scripture teaches us, Jesus taught us, we're supposed to talk to each other, not about each other. And so, where is our corrupt speak? Where is our speech corrupt? And notice I didn't ask, is our speech corrupt? I asked, where is our speech corrupt? Because James said, if we bridle our tongue, we'd be a perfect person. None of us is perfect. None of us bridles our tongue all the time. Are there any of these things, as we've looked at these scriptures, where the Spirit of God has spoken to you, and he's saying, you need to repent of this. You need to put this off. But then, the other side of this is, what do we need to put on? Well, he, he says, we, we're to put on good speech. Well, what's good speech? It's basically the opposite of corrupt speech. Instead of... Uh, Instead of taking God's name in vain, we hallow God's name. Instead of uh, complaining, uh, we're, we're positive. In, in, instead of boasting, we're humble. Instead of lying, we speak the truth. Instead of speaking false doctrine, we're accurate with what Scripture says. We don't use profanity. We don't, use, we don't demean people. We don't call people names. I'm not saying you can't kid around with your friends. I'm not trying to be the fun police here. But there's a difference in two friends you know, having inside jokes and ribbing each other and you saying something to someone that you know is going to tear them down and put them down. You know, we don't slander. We don't gossip. We don't talk about people. We talk to people. Put on good speech. Good speech is not just horizontal. It's vertical. You know, Hebrews 13, 15 talks about us using our lips to praise God, to worship God, to be thankful. That's good speech. And so we're to put on good speech. The next phrase here tells us that we're to put on speech that builds people up and not tears people down. Like I say, I think, you know, if we want to take this seriously as followers of Christ, let's try to apply that standard in our lives. Before we say something, is it going to build somebody up or is it going to tear somebody down? But, but I also want you to see something here because I think it's important that we understand this. Uh, the, you know, the phrase that's on your screen in your outline says, put on speech that builds people up according to the need of the moment. He, he uses the phrase here, necessary edification. And like I said, edification means to build up. Necessary, that's what it means. It means according to the need of the moment. And you say, why is that significant? Well, here's the thing, and, and I think Christians misunderstand this sometimes. And, 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 you know, you can take this too far. Like I said before, tone is important. But understand this. Sometimes the need of the moment to build somebody up is kindness, encouragement, um, compliment, a thank you, uh, something that's really positive. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore comfort one another, edify one another. Something that I heard Craig Rochelle say a few years ago that I feel like is maybe a better pastor, maybe a, a, just a better husband. It's really helped my life because I've tried to apply it. He says, if you think something good, say it. If you think something good about somebody, just go ahead and say it. Text them. Call them. Uh, do, do something. Just don't let it be in your mind. Express it to them. So it's building them up. So it's encouraging them, uh, blessing them. If you think something good, say it. Be positive, be encouraging. 
you know, try to build people up. How, you know, let's be honest. Most of us, a lot of the time, feel discouraged, feel beaten down, question ourselves, struggling with things in life. We can use some words of encouragement. And, and that's part of how we're supposed to minister to each other as the body of Christ. However, and this is where sometimes I think people miss it, building someone up according to the need of the moment can also sometimes mean that what we need to speak and what we need to hear are words of challenge, words of correction, words of rebuke. Hear me say this. Sometimes nice words are sinful words. Sometimes nice words are sinful words because there may be a moment where someone doesn't need to be flattered. They need to be challenged. Some of the most helpful things in my life, I mean, I've certainly experienced, you know, a lot of help and a lot of blessing by people encouraging me over the years. But sometimes what I've needed and what's really helped me is when someone has challenged me. Um, The Bible says, Proverbs 27, open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Verse 17 is, iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Something I heard Paul Washer say in a sermon recently is this. He said, your best friend is the one who tells you the most truth. Your best friend is the one who tells you the most truth. That's what we need to do to be a good friend sometimes. Uh, That's what, um, you know, I think we way overrate feelings a lot of times. Sometimes we don't need someone to make us feel better. We need someone to tell us the truth. I hope you uh, know that I love you enough to tell, tell you the truth. It's, it's not how it makes us feel. It's what does God want to do in our lives through it. And listen, we should do all that we can to build up people as much as possible. To, Like I said, to encourage them. But, but sometimes we need to be challenged. Sometimes we need to be challenged. Uh, kind of a funny story from uh, Robin's life is uh, she, Robin, I mean, she works at Lakeway Christian School right now. She's a counselor there. She's a graduate of Carson Newman College. But like when she got out of high school, she didn't really have plans. She hadn't applied to go to college and that kind of thing. And about two weeks before it's time for college to start, she was downstairs in her basement with the lights off watching the Motown 25th anniversary special. Anybody remember that? It's the one where Michael Jackson broke out Billie Jean. Um, I may be dating myself for some of you. But there was also a reunion of the Jackson 5 uh, on this video. And uh, Robin was practicing the dance moves. Uh, to the Jackson 5 uh, reunion dance. She might show them off for you after church if you'll uh, ask her uh, real nicely. But anyway, while she's in the middle of doing this, uh, the door flings open very forcefully, and her sister walks in and says, what are you doing? And Robin's like, well, I'm dancing. And she's like, what are you going to do with your life? Are you just going to waste the rest of your life in the basement uh, dancing? And Robin's like, I don't know. Well, you need to get off your butt, and you need to go to apply to college, and you need to move forward with your life. And so Robin did. And that may sound mean to some of you, but if Robin hadn't gone to college, she wouldn't be in the job that she loves doing what she's doing now. 
I mean, sometimes we need a push. And like I say, sometimes nice words are sinful words. So we, we're to build each other up, but it's according to the need of the moment. And then he, he says, last, we're to put on speech that imparts grace. And when we're building people up, we're imparting grace. When we're speaking the truth in love, we're imparting grace. When we're confessing Jesus, when we're sharing the gospel, we're imparting grace. When we're ministering God's word to people, we're imparting grace. When we're encouraging them, you know, sometimes the way we impart grace with their speech is to pray for people because if we're honest, we don't know what to say to people sometimes. And so he says, put off corrupt speech, put on good speech that builds up and that uh, imparts grace to people. Now, to close, how do, we, how do we actually just do that in our lives? And so um, just want to mention quickly to you three or four things here about how we can actually do this, okay? First of all, like I said, I'm not trying to be moralistic. This is for Christians, but if we want to change our speech, we need to surrender our lives to Jesus, Warren Wiersbe said, when Jesus Christ is the Lord of the heart, then he's Lord of the lips too. It's heart first, and then what flows out of that. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 12, 33. He said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Now think about that. Tree is known by its fruit. You may say, I, I love Jesus on the one hand, but 93% of the time, your mouth says, the fruit of your mouth says something different. Look what he says. He, he says, brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? This is the key phrase. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in our heart is going to come out in our mouths. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And so those last couple of verses, you know what they tell us? Uh, they tell us that our mouths expose our sinfulness and, a, and our need for a Savior. I mean, how do your words justify and your words condemn? Well, think about it. Uh, our sinful words on the day of judgment reveal our sinful hearts and reveal our need for a Savior. How do our words justify? Well, the Bible tells us if we believe in our heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. Uh, what's in the heart comes out in our confession. So if we're confessing Christ, we're justified by that. If we're denying Jesus, we're uh, condemned by that. And our words show us that we're sinners in need of a Savior. I don't think anybody here is going to sit here and say that everything I've ever said over the course of my lifetime has been righteous. I think if we're honest we would say that probably thousands of times we've sinned with our mouths. So our only hope is the fact that Jesus came and died for our sins and rose from the dead to forgive us and to cleanse us and to change us from the inside out. Second thing that the, this passage tells us is that a transformed heart give, gives us the capacity 
for transformed speech. Let me, let me illustrate it to you this way. You know, I guess churches like families kind of have famous stories. Well, you know, one from True Life, some of you have heard it before, is, um, you know, Rusty Arwood led Charlie Gibson up here to, to Christ. And part of the way that that happens, they work together, and, uh, you know, Rusty, uh, you know, was wanting to minister to him, wanting to reach out to him. They started playing basketball together. Well, Charlie, and I mean, uh, I'm doing this with his permission. I'm going to share some things that he shared with you in a minute that I think are very profound. But, uh, you know, Charlie basically couldn't speak without cussing at this point in his life before he was a Christian. And it, it drove Rusty up the wall. So they played a famous basketball game with a bet that uh, if, uh, if Rusty beat Charlie, Charlie had to stop cussing. And I wish there was video of it, but from you know, what I've heard, there was practically blood. I mean, like they just about killed each other to win this basketball game. And at the end, Rusty barely put it out or pulled it out. And so, you know, Charlie had to stop cussing. And so, you know, I asked Charlie about that this week when I was asking him about sharing this. And here's some things he said to me about that. He said uh, that today it bothers him that he fought so hard to win that game, to win that bet, to be able to keep cussing. That today it bothers him how much he used to talk that way and some of the people that he said things like that in front of and how immature uh, that it was. But, uh, you know, it, 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 but I asked him, well, you know, did it change after you became a Christian? Because it was like a few months after that when he got saved, right, Charlie? And uh, he said, yeah. And he said, the thing about it is really the temptation hasn't gone away, but that I hate it. It bothers me that I've done it in the past. And that now, even if I think something like that, I confess it as sin. Because really the battle's in, in, in the mind, uh, ultimately. And that, you know, I'm going to fight this temptation for the sake of my witness because some people are going to think I didn't really get saved if I keep talking the way that I did. And so, new heart, new speech. But what it illustrates, too, is just because we get saved, it doesn't mean that we're going to be instantaneously perfect. But what has changed in Charlie and what's is changed in you, if you're really saved, is our heart toward our sin. It doesn't mean that sometimes we may not still blow it and do or say or think something that we shouldn't but we don't enjoy it anymore. We don't think it's cool anymore. We hate it. We want to be different. And out of that, we're going to repent of our sinful speech and you know, confess our sins to the Lord, 1 John 1, 9, confess it to others. And hopefully to be able to overcome it, we're going to strive to renew our minds, to think differently through taking in God's word. Uh, through you know, Philippians 4, 8 tells us to think on things that are pure and true and holy and of virtue and, and of a good report. Really, if we want to change the way we speak, what some of us would need to do is we need to put in the truth of God's Word and, and, and take out uh, some of the people we're hanging around with that are a bad influence on us, some of the music we're listening to, TV programs, movies uh, that we're watching. Um, I mean, once again, you may think this is judgmental or legalistic, but that's okay. But if you're a Christian, why would you want to watch something consistently that dozens if not hundreds of times is taking God's name in vain that's just you know stuff that's foul and vile if we're putting in our minds it's going in our hearts 
It's going to come out in our words. It's going to come out in our actions. And I don't think I'm being legalistic because I'm not saying this is going to save you. I'm just saying if we're serious about this, if we want to honor the Lord and, and, and we want to live the way he wants us to live, and, and some of you are like, eh, I, don't, I struggle, I don't know why it's so hard to live the Christian life. Well, if this is what you're putting in, it's going to be hard. That's just how it works. It's a daily battle of being in the Word of God and in walking in the power of the Holy Spirit for God to renew us, for Him to change us from the inside out, and for us to think, talk, speak, to live more and more like Jesus, which is the goal. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What does our mouth say about our hearts? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.